are now listening to PursuitCast, the official podcast of Pursuit NYC. May it be an encouragement to you today and stir your soul for revival. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we're able to gather once again. And God, I just pray that your presence would be here. Because without your presence, this just becomes another program or another event. But God, I pray that your presence would be here. Your presence that transforms us and changes us. And Jesus, I'm not a silver vessel, I'm not a golden vessel, but I'm a yielded vessel. So Jesus, I pray that you may just use my words, anoint my lips to deliver the word of God today. And Jesus, I pray that the hearts of those who are sitting here tonight would just be softened to receive your word, to receive your word, take your word, and be activated in your word. So Jesus, I just pray for a genuine transformation to happen tonight. God, I pray that tonight that people would be marked and would never be the same. We just thank you, Lord. You just going to pray. Amen. All right. Um, before we get into the Word of God, um, I just, I realized something very uncanny about our culture. And that is, um, I would like to say that the uniting banner that we all come under is the name of Jesus Christ. But to be honest, when we go to schools, when we go to workplaces, that's not always the case. So what I found, three topics that are very common for people to relate to is people become so united when it comes to the topics of food, stories, and like reality shows, like sitcoms. You know what I mean? Like, I would talk to non-Christian people and the moment the topic of like friends comes up, it's like everyone's like, I watched Friends before, you watch, you know that episode? And like, my husband is a huge fan of The Office. I, no shade, but I am not, right? My husband loves it, and he can re-watch it over and over again, multiple times. I'm like, don't you know what's going to happen in this episode? He's like, I do. But he still laughs anyways, right? You know what I mean? But I think our culture, we really like sitcoms. You know what I mean? And for me, one thing I like to watch when I have free time is like home renovation shows. Does anyone else like home renovation shows like me? Like shows like House Hunters, like Fixer Uppers, or my favorite is Love It or List It, right? And for me, um, I just love watching it because I love that when you see home renovations or restorations, you see old homes becoming so new. You know what I mean? And for me, in this past year, my heart has been through this major, major renovation process. And unlike what sitcoms tell you or what you watch, renovation is a very long, painful process. I think the reason why sometimes we like watching sitcoms is you turn on the sitcom, and then there's a problem that needs to be solved, and by the end of, what, 30 minutes, it's solved. I think some of us, we want that, like, sitcom fate. You know what I mean? But I realized in the Christian walk, it's not like that. It's not like a home renovation process through a sitcom show where, you know, you turn on the TV and then after like a couple of minutes, it's like, ta-da, after one night, the home looks like this. And it's just like a completely brand new house. Home renovation, how many of you guys have ever seen a home renovation or have been through one? Okay, 
I've had many friends who have been through home renovation. That process is not pretty. That process is not pretty. But the thing is, the process of sanctification, it's similar to a home renovation. The process of becoming more and more like Christ requires that you tear away the old so that you can build in the new. And a lot of these houses that you see on the shows, from the outside, it doesn't look that bad. You know what I mean? Some of them, they look really ratchet, really. But some of them, I'm like, there's nothing wrong with it, right? But it's only until you get to the actual renovation process where you have to start tearing down walls, where you have to start digging up pipes, that you realize, dang, this house got major issues. You know what I'm saying? For a lot of us, we see perfectly fine on the outside. We can live our everyday lives, and if people see us from the outside, there's nothing wrong. But the thing is, the more and more we walk with Jesus Christ, and the more deeper, the deeper he works in our hearts, we realize, dang, there's some serious things we got to address in our hearts. And the thing is, Jesus, he's always about going deeper. Jesus is always about going deeper. He's not satisfied with the way that you currently are. But a lot of us, we are currently satisfied. You know, I love watching these shows because it's like, I love watching their reactions because it's like, they, they think, oh, okay, yeah, we're just tearing down this wall to like build a new room, right? And they're pulling it out and they're like, what is this? Why is this pipe exploded? Oh my gosh, there's rats in here. Like there's rat poop, you know what I mean? Because the thing is, the deeper and deeper we go, we realize there's like layers and layers of our heart, layers of unforgiveness, layers of fear, layers of shame, layers of bitterness, layers of anger that we realize, oh my gosh, I didn't even know I had this until Jesus starts to address it in our hearts. And you know, I want to go turn to John chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, can you turn to John chapter 5? I want to talk about a man who received healing from Jesus and experienced genuine life change and what that looked like for him. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. I'm like old school, so I usually ask people, yeah, I'll just do it, right? Why not? Don't get to speak here a lot, right? But uh, can we just rise for the reading of the word? I know it's so not traditional, but I love it because I love honoring the Word of God. John chapter 5, verse 1 to 16. This is the passage, and it says, The healing at the pool. Verse 1 says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored five covered colonies. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. I want you to just think of something, 38, okay? When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, 38 years, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. 
The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who, has, who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. This is the word of God. I think it's so significant that this healing happened at the pool of Bethesda. Because this is just like historical background, but Bethesda, it was like this pool of water, right? And there was this myth, this historical myth, that once the water started stirring, and they don't know when it would start stirring, the first one, and only the first one, who jumped into that pool while it was stirring, was to be healed of anything that they brought. So people who couldn't walk, when they entered this pool, they could walk. People who were blind, when they entered this pool, according to myth, if you were the first one, you could see. And by this pool, there were, I don't even know how many people, but many, many people who wanted a healing from this pool. And so they're just all lying there, just waiting and waiting for this pool to stir. But in this scene comes Jesus out of nowhere, right? And I, I honestly say sometimes I know that Jesus is so kind, so loving, so merciful. He's our Lord and Savior. But at the same time, I low-key think he's kind of savage. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, his questions, I'm like, why? That's so mean sometimes, you know what I mean? But he's low-key savage. He just comes out of nowhere, passes all these people who are sick. You know what I mean? Jesus could have healed all of these people, but he just goes up to one man who we don't even know the name of, right? He goes up to this one man who cannot walk, and he says, do you want to get well? Now, remember, when we were reading this passage, I said this man was an invalid for 38 years. 38. I'm not going to call out anyone and ask anybody's age, because I know how sensitive an issue that is, especially for females. Guys, don't ever ask females their weight and their age. You know what I mean? So I'm, never, I'm not going to address that, but it's how many of you are under 38 years old here? Can you just raise your hand? Okay. For people who didn't raise your hand, bad respect, okay? For the majority of us, we have not even lived to the length that this man has been handicapped. This man was an invalid for 38 years. I don't know about you, but 38 years is an extremely long time, right? There are times where I'm like, so next year is going to be my 10-year anniversary with my husband of being together with him, right? But then I'm like, I feel like one year with you has been like eternity. In like the best way possible. I'm not trying to be mean, you know what I mean? But I'm just trying to imagine 38 years of having something that you have to deal with that cripples you forever. And you feel like it's just never going to end. And you know, if you're located next to this pool that has supposedly mythological powers to heal you 
and you're surrounded by all these people who want to get healed, you would think, of course I want to get healed. But Jesus, he comes up to him and asks him the most savage question ever, and asks a man who has been an invalid who cannot walk for 38 years, do you want to get well? If I'm that man, I'm looking at Jesus like, hello, do you see where I am located? I am currently on a map because I cannot walk next to this pool. But I had to really wrestle with why would Jesus ask such an obvious question? And one thing I realized about Jesus throughout scriptures is his questions are never random. His comments, his questions, his teachings are always for a divine purpose. Right? And you know, like this almost sounds insensitive of Jesus to ask. Did you have you ever seen a sick person who's like, okay, let's just say that someone next to you or like someone close to you has like a really bad cold or a flu or a kangi monster, right? You don't go up to someone who's like throwing up and like dying, right? And you're like, do you want to get well? <laughs> you know what I mean, right? But I'm like, Jesus, that's a little bit insensitive and a little bit mean. But it says in John 1 that Jesus was full of truth and full of grace. Uh, I love when my professor says this, but he says, Dr. Reed, Rob Reamer, he says this, Christians are the most dishonest people in the name of kindness, but Jesus is the most honest person in the name of love. I'm going to say that one time, so good. Christians are the most dishonest people in the name of kindness, but Jesus is the most honest person in the name of love. Meaning, even if it makes you uncomfortable, because Jesus loves you so much, he will be honest with you. That was just like ministering to me too alone. Because I'm like, how many times where I know I have a friend or a brother or sister who I know is not walking with the Lord, but because I feel uncomfortable and because I don't want to be mean, I don't say anything. Or I kind of lie and be like, it's okay. You'll find your way. You do you. You know what I mean? But Jesus, he's so direct. He's so kind. He's so honest. And he's so loving. Even if that means he makes you uncomfortable. But Jesus, he's doing that to this man. Because Jesus, even though on the external appearance, it's so obvious that this guy would obviously want the healing, Jesus goes deeper into this man's heart and asks him, do you really want to get well? Do you really want it? And this man, he's in the right place at the right time, definitely talking to the right person. You know what I mean? I think so many of us want like a prophetic word from like a pastor. You know, I honestly, when I'm in like congregations and someone is highlighted in like the congregation and the pastor says a prophetic word, I'm not gonna lie, I get so jealous because I'm like, hello, God, like I want a prophetic word too, you know? But this man, he be getting that prophetic word straight from Jesus, you know what I mean? He's definitely in the right position talking to the right person. But Jesus, He's asking that question directly to this man's heart. Directly to this man's heart. And even though this man is in the right place, talking to the right person at the right time, we realize as we continue on with the story 
that that doesn't necessarily mean that he wanted the healing. Some of you, and some Christians in general, we may look the part. You know, we may go through the motions, we may go to church, we may be actively serving, we may be like pursuing after God, praying, but internally that does not necessarily translate that we definitely want the healing of Jesus Christ. Let's continue on with this story because it's interesting how this conversation with Jesus and this man plays out. Because Jesus asks, do you want to get well? And this guy goes, sir, because he doesn't even know who he's talking to, which is, by the way, weird, because if somebody asks you a question like that, wouldn't you say, excuse me, who are you? What's your name? Like, or if a random stranger come to you and asks you that, you don't just say, you don't just have a life confession with them, you know? <laughs> he goes, sir, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So there's two things going on in this man's heart that's very revealing about his response. And the first is, he goes, no one is here to help me. I think that's so ironic because, of course, no one is there to help you. Everyone else around you there wants the same kind of healing you want. So if the water is stirring, no one's going to be like, yeah, you go first. By all means, I don't know when this water is going to stir again, but you know what? Even, after, even if I have to wait like five more years, bro, you got this. You go first. Of course no one is going to help you because everyone else wants the healing. You know what I mean? So I just think that's so ironic, right? And the second thing he says in his response is, it's everyone else's fault. No one helps me. And be before I even get a chance, someone else goes before me and just takes the healing. Just takes the healing. Do you know this man, even if someone was there to help him, there's no guarantee he would make it to the pool in time. I, have, I want you to remember, he's an invalid. He can't walk. So people have to physically carry him. So that doesn't necessarily mean that he would be the first person. But what's also really sad about this man is that he's become so comfortable with such a victim mentality. And everything good that has happened in his life has happened through other people. Because in Jewish tradition, if you see like a poor person, it was like courtesy to like, you know, give them something like money or food, you know, just in passing, you know. Just like, you know, when we walk to the NYC, like around NYC, if you see a homeless person, I don't know about you, but I always get like suckered in. And like, I don't know if they're actually poor or not, but I always give them money, right? Sometimes my husband's like, stop, they're not poor. I'm like, you don't know that. You know, <laughs> what if they're genuinely poor, you know? And so it was just courtesy to just like give them a little bit of something. But this man, after 38 years of living in the same condition, the only good things that have happened to him were because of other people. And because of that, he's developed such a victim mentality where his breakthrough, his situations, his circumstances, we're so dependent on other people. So dependent on other people. Now I want to continue on with this conversation, right? Because it says, Jesus goes, do you want to get well? 
And then the man goes, Sir, blah, 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 no one has been here to help me. Blah, blah, blah. obviously I'm paraphrasing, right? And then Jesus, am I the only one who knows? Jesus goes, get up, pick up the mat, and walk. They don't have a conversation with each other. You know what I mean? They're not like, it's not like a conversation that bounces off. You know when you have a conversation like, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Right? Jesus goes, do you want to get well? The guy doesn't even answer the question. And he just goes, sir, I have no one to help me. And then Jesus doesn't even address that. And he goes, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. This is the weirdest conversation I have ever heard. You know what I'm saying? Does anyone, like, does anyone else find that extremely weird? Right? But Jesus, he's not feeding into this man's victim mentality. I think a lot of us, we want Jesus to coddle us. And granted, Jesus is so kind, so merciful, and he is so understanding. But he will not enable you in your victim mentality. He will not comfort you in your dysfunction. He'll call you out in your dysfunction. He'll convict you in your dysfunction. But he'll never be there with you and be like, you know what, you can just stay here. You can just stay here. And you know, sometimes, sometimes, not being well and living in dysfunction, oh, thank you, living in dysfunction sometimes becomes kind of nice, kind of comfortable. Now let me explain. Um, for me, I don't really get sick that often, but when I do, it's like I die. Like literally, I die. And like, I don't know why, but I'm always patient zero. I'm like that person that like gets the illness first, and then I die, and then I resurrect, and then everyone else around me starts getting sick, and it's your fault. You know what I mean? But there was this one time um, after I gave birth, I got super, super sick. Where it was to the point where I was like debilitated, and I couldn't even get out of bed. And it was like the kamgi momsa. You know what I'm talking about? Most of us are Korean here, but kamgi momsa is like your whole body hurts. I don't know what that virus strain is, but it hurts, right? And I remember I was just so sick, and like literally, I would sleep, eat, sleep, eat, sleep, eat. I would just wake up, eat the chew, my husband maybe, and just pass out for like another 12 hours, right? And my husband, he's so good to me, you know? But when I'm sick, he's extra good to me. Meaning like, because I can't do anything, he like cleans the bathroom, he like changes my daughter's poop diapers, right? He like takes care of the whole house, he makes me food, right? And like, I'm just crippled, right? But after a couple days of like, medication and prayer, you know what I mean? You start feeling a little bit better. And I remember when I was super sick and I died and resurrected, right? It's like, I was lying there and I was like, wait, I kind of feel okay. But I was like, wait, but if I feel okay, I have to start cleaning the bathroom again. <laughs> if I start feeling okay, I have to start taking care of housework again and cook again. Like In my mind, I was just running through all these things and I was like, do I really want to get well again? Like, do I really want to tell my husband that, you know, I'm feeling okay because the moment I do that, my house responsibilities just go back to normal, right? So I did this thing where I kind of lied, right? And like, I would be like texting, I'd be completely fine, right? And my husband would like walk into the room and be like, are you okay, babe? I'd like throw my phone on the pillow, I'll make you some more tube, you know, I got this, don't worry about anything in the house, right? He closes the door, I'm like, 
this, I confess this to him, you know what I mean? But I realized, because he kind of caught on, you know, after like a couple of days realizing like I was not sleeping as much, he was like, okay, babe, honestly, I think you're fine now. And I was like, you know what, yeah, I think I am. And he's like, why you lie? And I was like, I just, you know, I just, I just didn't want to do it, you know? But I think this is the moral of the story. Sometimes, it's kind of in a weird, twisted way, we kind of get comfortable with being unwell. We kind of enjoy, almost to a weird way, being not whole. And a lot of the times, we say, God, I want to be whole, I want to be free. But the thing is, do you understand the consequences that come with that? If you want to be free, you have to take responsibility for your life. If you want to be free from the victim mentality, you have to stop making excuses. We say we want to see genuine healing and restoration in our families. But do you know that sometimes, and most of the time, that requires you to forgive your parents, forgive your siblings, forgive your family members? Are you ready for that? Some of us, we, we just want the breakthrough, we want the healing, we want the miracle. But in reality, can your heart actually handle that? And Jesus, when he's asking, do you want to get well? That's exactly what he was asking. He's not asking, do you want the breakthrough? Do you want the healing? Of course this man wants the healing. He's by the pool for 38 years. But Jesus, the question that he's asking is, are you ready for this? Do you actually want it? And are you prepared for the consequences that come with your freedom? Are you ready for the responsibilities that come with the breakthrough? See, because today I wanted to shift our mindsets a little bit. Because I think it's so great that we contend after revival, breakthrough, healing, miracles. But what's the point of all those things if nothing in your life changes after that? You know what I mean? I feel like so many of us, we are on this spiritual roller coaster where it's like high, low, high, low. But God doesn't want that. He wants your faith to grow and sustain. It can't be just from a one-time miracle and then you walk away and then your life is completely the same. When Jesus gives you a breakthrough, are you ready for that breakthrough? Are you ready for the consequences that come with that? So if we continue on with the story, right? Jesus responds, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Like I said, really not having a conversation going on here. No two-way flow. It's just like, bam, bam, bam. You know what I mean? And <laughs> Jesus asks this man the question. The man responds with an excuse, and Jesus responds with a command. This seems to be a very common pattern throughout Scripture. For example, in Scripture, God goes to Moses in a burning bush. And he says, Moses, set my people free. And Moses goes, but God, like, I have a stuttering problem. Pick someone else. His excuse is there. But God, he doesn't really call a lot of excuse. But he just says, just go, for I am with you. That seems like a very common pattern throughout scripture. And this is exactly what's happening again in this passage. And notice that even though Jesus commands his man to get up, pick up his mat and walk, the man has a choice. The man has a 
choice. There's God's responsibility for the miracle, but there's your responsibility to claim and walk in that miracle. God is the one who heals, saves, and delivers. No one can do that in here, honestly. God can use people, use his presence through people, but no one in this room can do that because we're not God. God is responsible for the supernatural, but what we are responsible for is to claim and walk in that supernatural. So many of us, we think it's 100% dependent on God. Like, God, you have to do it. You have to make me holier after this. You know, you have to dictate all my decisions. That's not it. God, he gives you the chance and the opportunity to make a decision. And I think it's so crazy and so divine and so relevant that Jesus does this to this particular man. This particular man who has been struggling with a victim mentality his whole life, who feels like he has no choice with what his, his disability is. But Jesus gives him a choice. And you know what I think is the crazier miracle in all of this? That this man actually picks up his mat and walks. Because you see, he's located next to the pool. He could be like, but Jesus, what about this? Can you just make the pool stir? I'll just, you know, can you help me? And I'll go in there. You know, you could definitely facilitate this, you know. But instead of doing that, he is approached by Jesus, who he's never seen before, who he doesn't even know, so he calls him sir. And then he just listens to him. Some of us, we need to be activated and equipped in our faith. Because God is setting us up for the supernatural and the miracle. But we just need to make that choice. And that choice needs to be activated by our faith. Dallas Willard says, Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Your walking Christ still requires you to take responsibility over your life. Just because you're in the right position at the right time does not necessarily mean you want to be healed. There must be a willingness in your heart. Just because your body is saying yes, your body is in the right position, does not necessarily mean that your heart is crying yes. And until your faith becomes greater than your familiarity, until your conviction becomes greater than your comfort, and until your desire becomes greater than your dysfunction, you will never experience that life change. Your faith has to be greater than your familiarity. Your conviction has to be greater than your comfort. And your desire has to be greater than your dysfunction. That's how you receive life change. There must be a willingness to actually change internally, right? And this guy's life, in one moment with Jesus, it changes life forever. For me, for, for me personally, for this gathering, I have been contending that this gathering will be a moment that changes your life forever. That some of you are coming in here with baggage that has been like years and years, promises that have not been fulfilled yet, years and years. I'm contending and praying that tonight there will be a shift, that in the presence of God, your entire life will change. Your entire life will change. But you know, of course, as the story goes on, there are always people who are going to be challenging what has happened to you in faith. 
Can I tell you something? When I first received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I went back home to my friends and my family, I was like, guys, mom, Abba, I'm Abba, right? You know it. I was like, this is what happened to me. This is Jesus. I received him. My life is completely changed. And they were like, you crazy. They were like, you joined a cult. And I was like, no, I didn't. And they were like, just wait. In two weeks, you'll be back to the same old Lisa. Because same old Lisa, like, cursed like a sailor, you know, just didn't love the Lord, right? Just, you wait two weeks, you're just going to be driving and cussing up the storms of somebody who cut you off. And I was like, you know what, maybe. But my life is completely changed. You know what I mean? But there's always going to be pushback whenever there's a move of God. So do not be surprised if you receive a breakthrough and there's some resistance in your life. You know what I mean? But this particular resistance, and actually a lot of stories in the gospel, the resistance comes from the Pharisees. It comes from the Pharisees. Now, this is like a difficult part to kind of wrestle with, but I want you to understand that this Whenever you encounter a move of God, you have to deal with your biases, your limitations. Because these Pharisees, what they were doing was they were limiting God. They were saying, Jesus cannot do this. Nobody can do this because this is a Sabbath. Let me ask you something. When you are trying to receive breakthrough from the Lord, do you limit God and put him in a box? And say, but God, you can't move like this. It ain't Sunday. Today's Saturday night, you know? But God, you haven't spoken to me like this. But God, I don't understand this theologically. Whoa, that's a big one. I don't understand it with my head, but why do I feel it? Whenever you receive a breakthrough, it's really difficult because you have to address your religious mindsets. You have to address your biases. You have to address the limitations that you put on God and the religious mindsets that you put on God. Do you know what I'm saying? Because these people, they were like, you can't do that. And I'm going to ask Janet and Jay to go up. You can't do that. That's just unheard of. Let me tell you something. God is always out to surprise us. God will not move in the same way that you've seen before. What I love about the outpourings and the revivals of God is that it's just so different. If you look and study about who led them, how it moved, who it worked through, they're all so different. You know what I mean? He's worked through preachers. He's worked through people with no education. He's worked through all kinds of people in many different ways. So to say that God, you cannot do this because it's never been done before, or you cannot do this because I've never seen it like this, you are putting a lid in a box on God. Do you know what I'm saying? But God, he cannot be contained in a box. God is God. But sometimes we limit him. And then Jesus goes on with his savagery, right? right? And he goes, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. I'm like, hey, Jesus, I literally just obeyed you, blindly got up, picked up my mat, and walked, and you come up to me, and the second time you come up to me, you say, stop sitting? What did I do wrong? Stop sitting, or something worse will happen to you. 
Jesus, once again, you could have been a little bit kinder. You know what I'm saying? Just, just a tiny bit, right? But you see, the miracle of healing, your breakthrough, is just one part of your life change. I think some of us, we expect that miracle to be the end-all be-all. Like, if, if only I get this breakthrough, if only I get this job, if only I get this spouse, if only I have this kind of family, if only I have this kind of income, God, my life will be so set. I will worship you forever. But if your faith is dependent and it starts and ends with one miracle, then that's not faith. Whenever God gives you a breakthrough, he doesn't want that one momentary thing. He wants a process. He wants a journey. But so many of us, we're just so satisfied with that one thing. So many of us, we just want to be cured of the symptoms, but we never want to go down to the root. So many of us, we just want us, we just want God to take the pain away, but we never want Him to actually work in us, work in our hearts, go through sanctification process with us. So many of us, we're just willing to pray until the pain ceases. We're just willing to pray until the breakthrough comes. But the moment it does, the moment the pain leaves, the moment the breakthrough comes, we just stop believing. But Jesus, like I said from the very beginning of this sermon, he's always trying to get to the deeper things of our heart. The deeper things. He doesn't just want to cure your symptoms. He wants to go after the root. He wants to go after the root. And I asked one uh, woman who I had this interaction with, I asked her if I could share this story, so I got her permission. But I remember there was one, um, you know, just revival gathering that we were at together. And uh, it was a time where people were just partnering up and praying for each other. And I don't know why, but I just felt like I should pray for her. So I went up to her and I was like, okay, how can I pray for you? And I really wasn't expecting much. That's my fault, you know what I mean? I really wasn't expecting much. I was like, oh, whatever, I'll just, do, I'll just do what you tell me to do. And she was like kind of tearing up and she was telling me, I think God, he keeps resurfacing things about my family. But the thing is, she was like, I've been trying so hard to stuff it in, but I don't understand why it keeps surfacing and I don't want to deal with it. And I looked at her and because I have a relationship with her, I can say this, right? But I told her, so and so, I want to pray for you. And I prayed for her. And the phrase I kept getting for her was, you can be comfortable like this, but you'll never be free. You can live your entire life like this, stuffing it in, not dealing with it, thinking that your dysfunction is normal and just not addressing it, but you'll never be free. And every time it surfaces up, you're just going to try to keep stuffing it back in deeper and deeper. But the thing is, you're just going to keep addressing the symptoms. But you're never going to address the root. And you'll never be free. And I looked at her, and I asked her one question. I said, do you want to be free? Because being free, it comes at a cost. I think when we think of freedom, it's like, you know what I mean? Like nothing, no strings attached, but you know what I mean? But... Freedom does require your responsibility. Being free, there is a cost. 
You have to be uncomfortable. You have to face your dysfunction. You have to face the things that give you pain. And tonight, I want to address some of the people in this room. And if this is you, I want, I want to encourage you to be brave tonight. Not brave as in like what we think of like, ah, you know what I mean? But brave as in like, are you willing to be courageous to address your heart? Are you willing to look deeper into your heart? And do you actually want to get well? So can we just rise? Can we just close our eyes? And I'm just going to do a couple of things. Everyone's eyes closed, so no one's looking at each other. So it's not awkward, right? But if you've heard this message and you've realized, hey, I've never had this relationship with Jesus Christ, or I've heard about this Jesus Christ, but I don't really have a personal relationship with him. If that's you, can you just raise your hand? Everyone's eyes are still closed, so no one can see you. But if that's just you, I'm gonna extend that call to you. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, starting from tonight, you want to. Can you just raise your hand? Pursuit Cast. 
For more information on the Ministry of Pursuit NYC, please visit us on the web at www.pursuitnyc.org. Revival or bust.